Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, we live in an age where we admire people we deem to be successful, beautiful, rich and famous. And I think that's only been amplified with the increased presence of various social media channels like Facebook and the Instagram and LinkedIn. We see people out there doing things we deem to be amazing in the world and we start to compare ourselves with those people and sometimes start to internalise the message that maybe we're not good enough or as good as other people. And I want to know, where does that come from and how can we change it? Do you have that little inner voice in your head telling you that you're not good enough? Do you ever berate yourself that maybe you should be more or you should be doing more? Now, to tackle those big questions and ideas, I have a wonderful woman with me today, Kelly Mills. Hey, Kelly. Hey, how you doing? Very well, thank you, my friend, and thank you for coming in. My pleasure. So for those of you listening, Kelly is an amazing woman. She's a passionate teacher and influencer. She's a senior practitioner, specialist trainer and coach in her own company, Mills Eaton Training, and travels the world. Don't you, Kel? Yep. Travels the world, helping people and businesses be the best they can be. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what we aim to do. <laughs> so you've been designing and presenting results-focused training and reflective coaching and have been to over 107 towns and cities across Australia and the US and Canada. That's pretty amazing. Yes, we've seen a lot of the countryside, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're a noted conference presenter. Uh, delivering keynote addresses and workshops for a variety of clients and highly respected business and government departments. So I find it fascinating that we were having a conversation and you shared with me that you have struggled yourself with the feeling not good enough Yeah, throughout your life. Oh, yeah. And when you told me that, I was astounded because I look at you as being this amazing, confident woman with so many achievements But you said you weren't always confident and that you really did struggle when you were younger. Oh, I absolutely. And I don't think it was just when I was younger. I still, like everyone, have moments of, you know, the old imposter syndrome comes rearing its ugly head and it's the little voice in your head that goes, you know, seriously Kel you know yeah <laughs> why why do you think you can do that and yeah. and um yeah it's cert- it certainly started I think from well I know from my childhood of of not being good enough and be I was the poor kid in a good neighborhood and had a pretty tough home environment it wasn't talked about then and um, it wasn't known about so I felt like a bit of an outsider and and I didn't belong. So like in school? In school, oh absolutely and one of the things when Gary, my husband and I, when our business started to become successful because we certainly had our starving years in the beginning but when our business became successful and we could pay our bills comfortably and all of that, first thing I wanted to do was to support our own 
children in the community and we do that through the Smith Family's um, uh, Learning for Life program because I was that kid that didn't have the good school bag and couldn't go to school excursions. You know, I was the poor kid. I was, and, you know, I was a kid in the 60s, so I was also a kid whose mother got divorced when hardly anyone got divorced back then. Wow, so there was a real stigma around that. Oh, there was, and, and particularly at the time, I grew up in Newcastle and at the time it was a big court case because um, my biological father was a, a violent alcoholic and so it was based on the divorce laws were very different back then and it was on cruelty charges and so there had to be evidence proof that um, my mother um, lived through what she lived through and it was a major court case and it made the papers. Wow. And I remember being in primary school and having a bunch of kids sort of dancing around giving me a hard time about my father and and so you know that's kind of probably where it started is is not fitting in not being good enough you know I didn't have any of the cool stuff and most kids don't feel like they've got the cool mm. stuff that the other kids have but it was very real and it was funny when my son was in his teens he's, he's in his early 30s now when he was in his teens he'd come home from school like all starving young boys stare in the fridge and stare in the in the pantry and go there's nothing to eat and I'd want to bop him because I used to look in the fridge in the pantry after school and there was nothing to eat. Wow. You know, I grew up, we'd, we'd eat fried bread and tomato sauce and as a kid I thought it was a treat. But I yeah. look back now and realise that's all mum had in the house. Wow. That must have been really tough, a tough time for your mum raising children. Oh, and, yeah. and And again, I suppose, I'm guessing, experiencing the humiliation of her life being Oh, yeah, all, all, all over the papers. There. It took immense courage for her to go enough is enough. And um, she went through um, horrendous time during the marriage and afterwards. Kel, do you remember those times yourself? Yeah. 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 And that never leaves you. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. I still, and anyone who knows me, my social circle, that they see me as bold and outspoken and full on and potty mouth sometimes <laughs> well a lot of the time yeah. and, you know from I really struggle and I teach courageous conversations is, is part of my business yeah but when this if people raise their voices around me I'm like almost fetal position inside I go into that wanting to curl up in a ball, don't hurt me. And I was never hurt as a child, but I witnessed a lot of violence as a young child. And so um, there's part of me that just cringes inside. And I think that's probably why I started to develop some strategies so I could deal with conflict. Yeah. So was that when you were younger or more as an older like as a woman. The strategies yeah. um, were more as I was older. When I was younger, I think I was just a bit of a smart aleck. Well, no, I was. <laughs> I was a dead set smart aleck. And I'm quick-witted. It's a family thing from mum's side. And so I would use my smart mouth and humour to deal with things. And that's how pe people didn't know what how I was feeling inside, how worthless I felt when wow. I was younger. And not just through my childhood, but through my teenage years. Um, and oh, really? Early so, 20s. That, so that followed on with you, what you, you know, growing up and, oh, and yeah. experiencing violence and then seeing your life splayed across the papers and, and dealing with that in, in school. Yeah. So that followed yeah. you through into your teenage years. And look, my stepfather, um, 
his behaviour left a lot to be desired as well. Yeah. And looking back now, I can see what a controlling relationship and toxic relationship it was. And I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. You know, I never felt like I belonged. I still have memories at, at Katara High School walking around at lunchtime looking at, you know, the little groups all sitting near places and, and yeah. I could visit with some groups but I never felt like I belonged with any of them and it was it was re- really interesting. I went to a, a, the happiness conference last year uh, in Sydney and Father Rod Bauer, the outspoken um, priest from the Anglican Church at Gosford, he's always got those things posted up on yep. uh, out the front, and he talked about the difference between fitting in and belonging. And I realised I'd, I'd spent so much of my life trying to fit in up until probably about, maybe 20 years ago, and he said the difference between fitting in and belonging is to fit in something of yourself needs to be tucked away. Fitting in is not belonging. Belonging is being accepted for who you are. Mm. And I think I probably held up some pretty strong barriers. I know I lived most of my life until I met my husband actually with a now um, with, with a pretty strong wall around myself and I only let people see what I wanted them to see. Yeah. And the only person who lived inside my wall was my son. Yeah. And so that was my, my safety thing. But when, when you kind of get to a point where you go, you know what, this is who I am and I'm okay, you want to hang on to that. But it, it took 40 years of searching to get there. Yeah. Support a sister. Leave us a review whenever you listen to the podcast. So when you're a teenager, I know many a teenage girl, myself included, and we can totally tear ourselves to pieces Oh yeah, in the teenage years because we're trying, we want to become a woman, but we're looking at these gorgeous women in magazines or female role models. And like, I remember just feeling like such an ugly duckling in the beginning of my teenage years. That's a really tough time. Did you experience that as well? Oh, yeah. I'm very short height-wise. I've always had uh, an hourglass figure. It's changed. I describe it as a goddess, size 18 now. But at a time, I was I was obsessed with tall and skinny. Yeah. And I think we're still, unfortunately, obsessed with tall and skinny. And I also had short curly hair when back in the 70s, everyone had the long straight hair and the, the skinny little inch long eyebrows. And I had these big thick eyebrows and short curly hair and I was short with boobs before anyone got boobs and and you know a curvy waist and all of that and and uh, and I remember my mum telling me when I was very young you know I shouldn't shouldn't wear shorts because I didn't have the legs for it well kind of that stuck with me as well so I became obsessed about the size of my thighs and compared myself and you know you talk about comparisons and and we need to learn self-compassion instead of self-comparison I think and and we we I, I would look at everyone else and I would be sure they were talking about how big my thighs were and how oh, big wow. my bum was and you know and that's all that teenage stupid stuff that goes on in our head absolutely the tribal playground oh yeah yeah warfare you know and again coming back to um you know the beginning um I have known you for probably about four years now and I find it so hard to see you as 
that, you know, and having mm. those, that inner critic, that inner voice in your head telling you those things. But then I guess it's a reminder that we never really know what's going on for anyone else. We really don't. And we see people and we make assumptions mm. about who they are and how their life is. And we really don't know what's actually going on for other people. So really the best thing that we can do is just be kind to them. Oh, absolutely. I remember when I started the 100 Hour Stories project, the project we have to share the stories of women who've survived domestic violence. And I was, you know, speaking at a few different events with that and some of the girls I went to school with who I've stayed in touch with, they were really shocked to hear Mm. my story because they had no idea that's what was happening at home and it's it's the the same as everyone else and I like to think of people um, as an iceberg and, and I was trained this when I was doing some emotional intelligence training and if you see as human beings as an iceberg we judge them by what we see above the surface yeah you know by their behavior and their actions so what they're showing us above the surface is how we judge people and how we make those assumptions and first impressions but underneath the surface is their background their education their history their values their emotions you know their their a whole range of things that make that person and what they choose to show on the surface um or what they feel safe to show on the surface is what other people notice Absolutely. So, Kel, how did you go then from living the life, teenage years, where you were analysing yourself, you had um, your inner critic loud and clear in your head, how did you make the journey from that person to the confident, wonderful international speaker, (laughs) um, business coach, uh, to the woman who is supporting and advising and helping to develop people and teams? I don't know if I'm just ballsy, maybe, gutsy. I reckon you must be pretty ballsy and gutsy because it sounds like you had to deal with a lot when you were younger. There's part of me that would get knocked down in relationships when I was much younger and various challenges along the way. And I think I was fortunate in my very early 20s, I I met a woman who was um, my mum's age at the time and she was into yoga and meditation and she was like a mentor to me and what she helped me to do was get out of just thinking the world was all about me. Yeah. Because I think that's a really good start. We, we, we think everything is about me and everything everyone's Elsa's thinking is about us. I'm a bit of a self-confessed quotaholic and uh, I remember reading a quote years ago, we would worry a lot what other pe- about what other people thought of us if we realised how infrequently they did. Yeah. And so what they're actually doing is they're thinking about what do you think about me, Yeah. you know. And so she really helped me with that. And I remember she gave me a piece of paper with some words typed on it and it came from a course in Miracles. And I'll just read them to you because I kept it in my wallet for about 30 years. And it says, I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. And it took me a long time to come to terms with that, especially no one asks for abuse or domestic violence, no one asks to be poor. But what it helped me do, 
I, I think reading the intent of it, it helped me to stop blaming everything else, my circumstances and all of that, and justifying why I felt bad. Yeah. Instead, I kind of went, well, do I, am I really happy to feel this way about myself? And how about I just be me and see what happens? And so the the meditation side of things and getting into a lot of that thinking well before the book The Secret came out and a lot of this that you know the the Lure strong attraction. Yeah, yeah, all of that. It was it was me looking at well what have I got in my life and what am I choosing to allow into my life and yeah. what do I want to do about it from there. And and it's funny if I look at it the the first maybe 20 years of my life, I didn't feel like I was enough. But then the next 20 years, I, I always felt like I was a bit too much for some people because in my early 20s, I kind of thought, well, stuff it, this is who I am. And I was too much for some people. And I had a lot of criticism because I laughed too loud and I talked too much. And, you know, every school report said I talk too much. Well, guess what? Get paid to talk now. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go, kids. If you get told you talk too much in class, there's your career choice. Yeah, yeah. Got the perfect career choice. But but it's only been probably in the last, I turned 60 next month and it's probably been the last 15 years maybe that I have kind of gone, you know, this is who I am and I'm okay with that. And if, if other people aren't okay with that, it's really not my responsibility. Yeah. So as an adult now, do you find that you come up against people that might rattle you and, and you might regress back to some of those younger years? Yes, I think for for all of us, regardless of what we've been through in our life, any kind of trauma or challenge or something that has, you know, uh, like so many of your listeners, a huge Brene Brown fan, got a bit of a girl crush on Brene, but you know that they we've all got our shame triggers of, of events or, or certain elements of ourselves, and yes, yeah, certainly there's some things that that can trigger that, and I think the secret is to know when you're retreating. Yeah. And have your, your other inner voice not be a critic in your ear, but cheerily nagging you, you're okay. You know, you belong here. Yep. You're okay. You are enough. Yeah. And interestingly, I know um, Charlotte, a therapist who is my mindfulness guru, she would say, be curious around that. Yeah. Be curious and go, what's going on here? Yeah. What's really causing me to feel that way? Dear body. <laughs> yes, dear body. Exactly, exactly. And asking yourself, you know, am I happy to give someone else that power? Does someone else's opinion of me really make that much difference to who I am? One of the things that my husband has always said to me was consider the source. You know, I've done some things that get the tall poppy syndrome you know, alive and well because I'll people will be talking about something and I'll think, oh, well, how about we do something about it? And I, I did it. And I remember when I, I set up a business women's network 21, nearly 21 years ago in Port Macquarie, there was a lot of criticism and nitpicking and nastiness and all of that. And I'd come home from somewhere and I'd be a bit upset and Gary would say, oh, consider the source. Like, is that person who's made that comment, are they someone you really value in your life and are they really important to you? And if they're not important to you, does it matter what they think? And that was really helpful to me. Yeah. Don't you love the wisdom of men sometimes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, they just 
can simplify things. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Come on, let's just keep this real. It's, that's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And really, so what if they think that of you? Absolutely. So how did you become a business coach? How, how do you, I'm just, again, trying to fill the gaps of, you know, living through those teenage years, doubting yourself, having that inner critic. And, and now, again, you're this amazing coach, international coach and speaker. How did you actually find yourself moving into being a, like a business coach and helping others? I found my purpose. I always wanted to be a teacher and I couldn't go to teacher's college because I had to go to work instead to help support the family. And all I'd ever wanted to be for, since I was a kid was a teacher. So I, I did various jobs and long story short, I became a sales trainer. I hooked up with a bloke, my husband now, who had a training business and I did sales training and, and we, we got into that. And, and I didn't have a lot of courage at the time, but I thought, I'll have a crack and it's probably going back to that ballsy side of me. I'll have a crack. And um, so so it grew from there. And then the coaching side of things, I work with all kinds of businesses and government and organisations. I don't, I'm not a business coach as in teaching people how to run a business, but I coach leaders on how to be better leaders. I coach people on how to communicate. Words and communications really a passion of mine. But I think finding my purpose, and that's that's one of the secrets to a good life, I think. And it doesn't have to be a big grand purpose, but once you know why you're here mm. and, and what you bring to the table, and every one of us brings something to the table, the problem we have is that we spend a lot of time listening to all those people who want to tell us what we're not bringing to the table. Yep. So what would you say to then to people or, or advice would you have for people who have that inner voice in the head? And, and I'm just going to say, I have a theory that sometimes that inner voice, that inner critic in our head is actually the voice of our parents. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry, it, it, I, I actually believe that it's yeah. the voice of our parents, things that we've been told about ourselves yeah. that have just been stored away in our memories yeah, well, and they I've, like to surface every now and then. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was always told I was selfish and I was lazy. And so, you know, I became a workaholic for a lot of years. So, but again, I'll, I'll own that myself. The advice I would give is, first of all, be gentle with yourself. Second, change the narrative. It's being aware of what am I, what, what are the words I'm saying to myself? And would I say that to someone I deeply loved? Yeah. I love the work by um, Dr. Kristen Neff, who uh, does a lot of work in the loving kindness space and has written work, uh, books on self-compassion. And she talks about the difference between self-compassion and self-esteem. And self-compassion is unconditional warmth and love that you have for yourself. Self-esteem is a comparison. Yep. It's, uh, you know, I've got high self-esteem and, and I can match this person or be as good as that one. Mm. We don't want to aim for self-esteem. We want to aim for self-compassion because if you've got that, you'll believe in yourself and you'll back yourself going forward. It's funny. This just popped in my head. I was reading a book last year called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. In that, he talks about if the voice in your head was a person and you spent 24 hours with this person and that person said all these things yeah, to you. Yeah. You'd push them out the door, seriously. You totally would. And you, I remember reading that going, oh, my goodness, that's so true. And he said, for the next 24 hours, take note or write down 
everything that you tell yourself and then think of that is if that was a person or a friend, you would like wipe that friend. Exactly. And yet you're telling yourself that. If, if you stood in front of a friend or loved one and they said to you, God, you look fat in that. Oh, my God, what are you going to do about those? Like, oh, look at that grey hair coming through. Yeah. Oh, look at those wrinkles. You just want, yeah, you wouldn't have anything to do with them. You wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. So, so yeah, change the narrative. But notice the, the narrative. When you say, I'm stupid, go, well, really? You've got to stop yourself and notice it. Yeah. Because you can't actually have awareness around that if you don't stop. You have to stop and pay attention. And then you can argue with yourself and go, well, hang on a minute. I'm actually okay here. And that's what I did. I had to learn to like my thighs. Now, I don't put them on display for the world, trust me, but um, <laughs> if, I, if I needed to, I could, you know. But, but it's, it's, I had to learn to like all of me. Yeah. And, and it wasn't easy and it was that, you know what, I'm okay. And I bet you look back at photos of yourself now and oh, go, oh, man, look gorgeous. at my hot little figure. I was hot. I was hot. I exactly. Was, I was seriously hot. So isn't it funny how unreliable we are? our view of ourselves because back then back then you're kind of like pulling yourself to pieces and believing one thing about yourself and you look at a photo and I'm like I was hot damn it yeah and that's (laughs) what these school friends said to me when I said oh I felt I was this and I was that and they went are you serious you were gorgeous and I was like really so it's it's bizarre the other advice I would give there's a couple of points Melly's is forgive yourself if you stuff up it doesn't mean you are a stuff up. You yeah. aren't your actions. I love that. You know, it's it's we, we make mistakes and we say things we don't mean to and we do things that we regret afterwards. But don't carry it around like a yeah. load with yourself all of the time because that load gets really heavy and it stops you from enjoying what else you've got around. You know, it's interesting. I had something in the last couple of years that I felt really – I felt a lot of personal shame around and I was carrying that. And one day I opened up to somebody and I was telling them about how I had been feeling ashamed about something. And I'm not going to go into it only because it's like, I'm probably not ready to share that with the world. But I went and told uh, this person and she was like, really? That's really not a big deal. You've been carrying that around? Yeah. Oh, my God. Get a grip, girl. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I love that. And it's funny. I was totally cleared. Yeah. Because I had been carrying this around and I had this view of myself. And then I shared it with somebody and she's just like, oh, my God, that's not even a thing. What are you even worried about? Like, seriously? It was the best ever. I was like total release. It's amazing. (laughs) And, you know, if only we could truly see ourselves through others' eyes, not the assumption we've made of what they think because we we make assumptions that they think I'm this or they think I'm that and it comes from probably our parents' voices in our heads or what we think. Mm. The other advice I would give is set your boundaries and what I mean by that is choose your tribe. Yeah. And and choose how you will or won't be treated. Yeah. And and have those people around you who you truly feel like you belong with, that you don't have to feel that, oh my gosh, I'm going out with Mary. Um, she always looks so good. Oh, I can't wear this and I haven't got anything good to wear. Because I'm sure we've all felt that at times. Yeah. And I remember that, you know, I had a Mary in my life um a few years back, and every time we were going to socialize with Mary, not her real name, of course, every time we do it, I would get really stressed because the poor 
poor kid in me would come out that I haven't got anything good good enough wow. you know she that for some reason that triggered that and I remember I hit a point where I was going out and having a business meeting with Mary and I looked at my wardrobe and I could feel that old feeling kick back in and I thought oh stuff this and I pulled out my favorite comfortable $29.90 dress from Kmart a little black dress and I put it on and thought I'm enough yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. And that and that was really good. But choose your tribe and also have the courage within the tribe that you're choosing to have the conversations that you need to have. And it's not easy and that's why it takes courage. But an example would be my my mother, every conversation I had with her, as long as I could remember, would point out my weight. And you know, that and I'm sure that's why it became an obsession. Yeah. But she she would comment on my weight. And the first thing she would say when she saw me was something about my weight or something about my hair. My hair was never how she wanted me to have my hair. And finally I said to her, Mum, I'm sure it's not your intention to be hurtful with your comments, but I find them really hurtful and really judgmental. So what I would like when we get together for you not to comment on my hair or my physical appearance unless you've got something positive to say. I yep. think that's going to help our relationship if we do that because <laughs> I used to get myself so worked up about visiting my mother. Yeah. Now she didn't like it and she complained and I was being too sensitive and blah blah. It's really but she stopped it. It's really interesting because I um I had a similar conversation with my dad because he had when I was younger had been joking but said once like when I'd gone back for seconds called me Tubby or something like that. Oh yeah. And when I spoke to him about that years later and how like I had never forgotten that had really impacted me. He's like, I know what you're talking about. You're making a fuss about nothing. I'm like, no, like <sighs> you don't understand. I've carried that with me. Yeah, words hurt. Into my 40s. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Words words hurt, words hurt. And we've all got, as, as Brene talks about, our shame triggers and we hang on to them. Yeah. I've even said to friends that might make a little comment about some the element of my personality and it's it, it sort of triggers at you too much. You know, I go, oh, you know, typical you, you always do that. And I just smile now and go, oh, you say it like it's a bad thing. Yeah. And they and they back off. Yeah. Or if if someone makes another comment, I I ask a curious question. You know, is that going to be a problem for you? Yeah. And so what I'm doing with that is I'm not owning their stuff. Yeah. Because we have enough nonsense going on in our heads as it is. Absolutely. We don't need to bring anyone else's in there. We are enough. We are just like Goldilocks and the three bears with that third bowl of porridge or that third bed. We are enough. Yeah. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of that. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Okay, Kellen, what's your final bit of advice? My final bit of advice is find some words that speak to you and then apply them. So whether it's listening to Brene, whether it's reading books, I one of the things that really helped me through a, a pretty low period of my life when I was much younger was I plastered things all over my office. And, and some of the things was there was one a quote from actress Glenda Jackson, if I'm too strong for some people, that's their problem. 
That yeah. was through my too much phase. And, uh, <laughs> and that was reminding me that, you know what, this is who I am and I won't allow myself to be minimised because if they can't cope, I'm sorry about that. The other one I wrote down was um, dare to be yourself. What others think of you is none of your business. And then learning a few years ago, probably about eight years ago now, it was CIA and it stands for Control, Influence and Accept. So only put your energy into things that you can control. You have influence on how people treat you. You can't control how people treat you, but you can influence. And you can also decide what you're going to accept and what you're not going to accept. Yeah. Wise words, my friend. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your, a bit of your story, but also your wonderful words of advice. Again, I look to you as being an inspiration because you help and support so many women in business and corporates with your you know, workshops, your coaching, your speaking. And I know that not everybody necessarily wants to open up and go, actually, I've struggled and this is some of my story and actually it didn't all come easily to me. And that's how we learn. We actually learn and grow and develop by other people sharing their stories, other soul sisters. So thank you so much, Kel. And now how can people find out more about you? Um, We have a website, millseaton.com, M-I-L-L-S-E-A-T-O-N. I'm the Mills. My husband's the Eaton.com.au. And uh, if you go to our website, you can see some of the work that we do. And I do lots of one-on-one coaching and it used to be in cafes. Oh, good times. (laughs) (laughs) And I've I've embraced the world of Zoom and Microsoft Teams. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm still doing plenty of work in that space helping people thank you my beautiful soul sister thank you thanks for listening to hey soul sister with mel histon what would help you on your crazy life journey email melissa at thesistercode.com